life will be different because of today. Stand to your feet and welcome our dear friend, John Bevere. Come on. Come on, let him know how much you love him. Hey. Tell him you were in Hawaii. <laughs> Good evening, church. Wow. I, um, I love coming here. I, I, I love you. Everybody stay standing. Uncle John's in the house. Uncle John always, although Chris prayed everything I think I was going to pray. I don't even know. I might be able to get away with not praying tonight. I always pray. It's like a tradition for me. I, I don't feel like I, I can handle the word of God until I pray. Um, listen, I... I'm so grateful to, for you, you and Michelle, Pastor Jacob and Michelle. You're so kind to say what you say, but honestly, all we are is we're serving. I, I remember, um, you know, when I first started in ministry, I left an engineering job with a, took a massive pay cut to go and work for my church. And my job was just pick up speakers, take care of my pastor's personal needs. And, you know, I'd pick up his dry cleaning. I'd took their kids to YMCA and gave them swimming lessons with 16 moms in the pool. That kind of stuff, you know, wash their cars. I was on my way to wash my pastor's wife car. And, you know, back in those days, we were all in our 20s and we thought, you arrive when you got behind the pulpit. That's when you arrive. And I'll never forget this as long as I live. I was, I was driving my pastor's wife car to get it washed. And the Holy Spirit said to me, if, and there was a real emphasis on if, if I promote you, it will be a promotion in serving. He said, you mess up now, it's dry clean shirts. You mess up then, it's human lives. And those, that's what I care about. So if you ever look at ministry, realize that ministry is just serving. And, you know, Jesus left us with the last illustrated sermon, saying, I am Lord and King, and you rightly called me that. But I'm here to wash your feet. Because those guys just had a servant girl wash their feet about two hours earlier when they came into that big house. Because there was all kinds of mud on their feet when they'd come off. They didn't have pavement back in those days. And Jesus said, this is the example I'm leaving you. And always remember that. No matter what God does in your life, he puts gifts on our life. And we've always got to remember those gifts are to serve people. And if we keep that before us, you end up being like Jacob Aranza. You end up going 50 plus years in ministry. You be, end up being like Michelle, being in love with your husband and serving the house of God for 50 plus years. So that's what's important. And so tonight, I, I know we're all here for one big reason. We love Jesus with all of our heart. And if you don't, you're going to find him before you leave. I just believe that. Amen. <clears throat> Lisa and I were just 10 days in Hawaii. It wasn't a vacation. We actually did three different conferences. I'm actually in 11 cities this month. January is a big month. Everybody does conferences. So my assistant said, you just cannot accept another uh, invite. And I had a 12th and I said, I had to say no. It was one of my closest friends. I love how the people of God always prepare in January for the year to come. But I, I personally feel like we need to treat every month like January in the body of Christ. I mean, hey, his, his return is imminent. He is soon to return. He, that, I'm telling you, I know in my heart, he is soon to return. That's why we have to be so busy and so active 
about our Father's business. Can you say amen? Because there's a whole lot of people that need to hear the gospel. Uh, but it was amazing meetings in, in Hawaii. I mean, the Spirit of God did so much in that state. And uh, I just want to say uh, our family keeps continuing to grow. We have now four daughter-in-laws. I'll show you a picture really quick before I get into the message tonight. Uh, our son got married last year, Alec. He married an Australian girl. And uh, now we've got eight G babies. So they're all not pictured now. And uh, you could see Christian's preg pregnant in that one. These are our four sons. Our four sons, oh my goodness, amazing men. All four of them have worked for Messenger for at least nine years. And then our grandbabies are just amazing. They call me G-Daddy and G for short. And um, our newest one who Christian is holding, actually not newest one, we've got another one coming, but this is Azariah. And he has me wrapped around his little finger as he should. Uh, that little boy is just so amazing. But anyway, that's my family. We are so deeply in love with each other and I am so excited to be in here tonight. You know, I, I just, usually I have a whole lot of fun on the introduction, but I have such a burden in my heart tonight to release something in here that I believe is what God wants. And I, I guess I feel the weight of the fact that the time is short. And I think if there's ever been a time to be serious about our walk with Jesus, it's right now. Because I believe we're coming into the day that God is going to distinguish between those that are really, really walking with him and those that are kind of on the fringes. I think if you read Malachi 3 and 4, I think that's the verses of scripture for today. You have three people in Malachi 3 and 4. It starts in the 13th verse. I know a lot of pastors, we preach, you know, out of Malachi 3.10 for the tithe and the offering. But really it kicks in prophetically for today in verse 13. It says that there were a lot of refining going on. And it says, you got these people who are believers that are complaining. God, what use is it that we're serving you? We're looking at wicked people. They're prospering. They don't have problems. We're going through all these trials and tribulations, all this refinement. They were complaining. But the same time all that was going on, you have these people who feared the Lord and spoke to one another. In other words, they're coming to the conference. They want to hear what God is saying. They're talking, they're talking in the gym about what God is doing. They just get together and they just start talking about what the Lord is doing in their life. God said, the day is coming that I'm going to make them my special jewels. And I'm going to arise with healing in my wings. Obviously, there needs to be a little bit of healing from the refining. But he says, they're going to go out and they're going to grow fat like stall-fed calves, and they're gonna trample the wicked because the wicked are gonna be like ashes under their feet. And the wicked, you gotta remember, isn't flesh and blood, it's demonic powers, right? And so I believe you've got three groups of people. You've got the people who aren't serving God that are the unbelievers in, in these verses. You've got the complaining believers, and then you've got the believers who fear God. And I'm telling you, God spoke to my heart at the end of last year, and the word he gave me for the year was glory. I believe that is the word for this year. And I believe that God showed me, and I believe he's shown a lot of others of his people that this is the year he's gonna to begin to distinguish. He said, I will distinguish. You're gonna know again between the one who's really serving God and the one who isn't. And so I just want you to come into 2024 with an expectation of glory. 
of God revealing his greatness in your life and in your midst. I believe this with all my heart. You've got to expect it. See, I think the fight, the fight is holding on to the hope of glory. Christ in you is the hope of glory. Moses puts a veil over his face. Paul says that is nothing compared to this new glory that's coming of the New Testament. But the fight is what? Ever since the fathers fell asleep, everything remains the same. Nothing's changing. Pete, that, 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 that's what's gonna happen. Mockers and scoffers will rise up and say, hey, where's the promise of his coming? Everything's the same. The fight is holding on to that blessed hope, the hope of his glory. Don't let your expectation go because hope deferred makes the heart sick. We're coming into the greatest days. We're coming into the days in which the church is truly gonna be glorious, amen? And that's what I wanna share with you about tonight. Pastor Jacob, thank you so much for your leadership in the body of Christ. You are such an amazing leader, friend, man of God, husband, father. I look at your children and I'm just in awe. Thank you so much for being Lisa's and my friend, you and Michelle. Amen. All right. I want to pray and we're going to believe God. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for this conference. Lord God, I'm asking for the weight of your presence in here tonight. We just don't want a message tonight. We want to hear straight from your mouth. Now, Lord, you said the preparations are of the man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. I'm asking tonight that you would speak to us, that you would not only give me your word, but give me your heart to deliver. Let it be as if Jesus was standing here speaking, because Lord, I am quite aware that I can do nothing apart from you. And so I'm asking that you would literally invade this sanctuary. Spirit of God, invade the atmosphere, invade our hearts and reveal Jesus to us in a way like we've never ever seen him before. And as you do this, may we go from glory to glory and from strength to strength. For I decree your kingdom has come, your will shall be done in this place tonight on earth as it is in heaven. For this, we give you the glory, the honor and the praise and the thanksgiving. And it's in Jesus' mighty, wonderful, majestic, holy, awesome, magnificent name we pray and everybody that agrees shouts come on give him praise give him praise thank you Lord for what you're going to do amen you can be seated all right I'm going to open up with what some of you may think is kind of a downer but it's but it's something we've got to talk about in 2022 I believe it was Barna did a study a really big study they were actually funded by a very large group of businessmen and women that wanted an answer. They want to see the kingdom manifest in the country. So they, they actually funded Barna to do a massive study on just how many people have walked away from the faith. And what Barna discovered after this massive study was that in the past 24 years, over 23 million people have gone from practicing Christians to non-practicing Christians. And Barna took it one step further. He said they're not only non-practicing Christians, but they are now professing atheists, agnostics, and spiritualists. I have a friend who's a pastor who just said the other day, he had a couple come up to him, he had three sons, 
that were called to ministry, after all three sons went to university, they are all professing agnostics now. Now, if you look at over 23 million, just 23 million is one out of every 14 Americans. So not one out of every 14 people that go to church. One out of every 14 Americans have literally walked away from the faith. They went from attending regularly, praying regularly, to not even attending, not even uh, uh, praying any long, and now professing to be agnostic. All right, that really troubles me. You know, being a 65-year-old man, and I'm looking at the church, and I love the church so very much, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, why are we losing so many people? And the conclusion that I've come to is the fact that they have not experienced the true presence of God. I believe the reason so many have left the church is because they didn't know the true presence of God. And the true presence of God is a very real aspect of Christianity. Jesus makes a statement in John chapter 14. He said, I will love him and I will manifest myself to him. That word manifest is an amazing word. It means to be fully known by revealing clearly. It means to bring to light. It means to disclose. It is when God makes himself real to you. It is when your physical senses literally sense him. That's a real part of Christianity. If you want to put it in simple terms, it is the tangible presence of God. I have been concerned that there are a lot of believers in the United States that have learned how to live satisfied without the presence of God. Yet Moses makes a statement. He says, it's your presence that separates your people and me from all the other people that are on the earth. We are told in his presence is the fullness of joy. And what is joy? The joy of the Lord is our strength. So why are people losing in this battle? Why are people slipping away? Why are they burning out? Why are they going shipwrecked? Because they don't have the strength to endure the tribulations, the trials, the afflictions, the onslaughts of the enemy in this day and time. And let me tell you something. It's more intense now than it's ever been and I've seen in my entire life. And so the next question that comes up that we have to ask ourselves is why are there people that are not experiencing the presence of God? Why are there Christians that aren't experiencing his presence? I believe the answer to that is they are not pursuing authentic holiness. Hmm. Now, I got, I got to be really careful with this one. <laughs> okay, I was raised Catholic, but I know some people in here weren't. I know some. Holiness is a word that strikes fear in a lot of people. And it should. Why should it? Because of the legalism that has been attached to it. I mean, there have been so many pastors, teachers, ministers that have almost used this word holiness to beat people up and control them and bring them into a behavior that is satisfying to the teacher. I mean, it's quite amazing. These people don't, these, these teachers don't even like people. I mean, can I say this? 
you shouldn't be teaching the Bible if you don't like people. You should be teaching physics. That's what you should be doing. So they would, they would beat us up with a behavior that they felt was acceptable. And the result is, there's, there's a Chinese proverb that says that the cat that's been scalded with boiling water will fear even the cool water. In other words, if you, if you put boiling water on a cat, now you put the cool water out that's going to give it life, he'll run from the cool, or he or she will run from the cool water. And so, the sad thing is, C.S. Lewis made a statement. He said, how little people know who think that holiness is dull. When one meets the real thing, it's irresistible. So I want to hopefully show you the irresistible aspect of holiness tonight. I think what happened as a result of the legalism we swung the pendulum to the complete other side. We had very clever teachers that started coming along and saying something like this. Holiness, you don't need to be concerned about. Jesus is your holiness. So, you're a human being, you've got needs, we live in a real world. Don't worry about holiness. Jesus is your holiness. Now, the really sad thing about this is there is truth to what they're saying. But it's not the complete truth. Because what they've done is they've they, they, they put all holiness into one bucket. When in reality, there's actually kind of two buckets. Number one would be positional holiness. What do I mean by positional holiness? Well, here's one of many, many examples. Ephesians 1.4 makes the statement, He chose us in Him before the foundations of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. So in other words, from the foundations of the world, God says we're going to create mankind. God knows the end from the beginning because He's not bound to time. He says, these guys are going to mess up. Son, would you be willing to go die for Him? Jesus goes, I'll die for them, right? And... So from the foundations of the world, God created this plan and said, your blood is going to be what purchases them back and cleanses them from sin and will make them stand before me as holy and righteous. And so now today, when a person receives Jesus Christ as their Lord, Master, and Savior, God declares them as holy. Positionally, you're as holy and you're never going to be more holy. Let, let me give you an example. 42 years ago this October 2nd, Lisa Toscano walked down the aisle of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Lafayette, Indi Indiana. And she became my wife. Lisa and I now have been married 42 years, and she is not more my wife today than she was the day I married her. And she is not going to be more my wife 40 years from now than the day I married her. It's settled. She's my wife. This is what Paul is talking about here, and you'll see this all over the New Testament. There, there is a position that God has given us, and he declares that position and us to be holy. But then now, after Lisa and I got married, her behavior changed. 
All right, I had the privilege of leading Lisa to the Lord on our first date before, before she got married. Well, let me tell you something. She flirted with guys. She gave them their phone number. Um, you know, she went on several dates. After we got married, she stopped giving guys her phone number. She stopped going out on dates with other men. Are you, are you following this? So what has happened now? She has a behavior that aligns with her position. Okay? This is called behavioral holiness. Okay? Look what Peter writes in 1 Peter 1, 14 and 15. He says, live as children of obedience. I know this is a four-letter word for some people. Live as children of obedience to God. Do not conform yourselves to the evil desires that governed you in your former ignorance when you did not know the requirements of the gospel. Wow, this is strong. But as the one who called you is holy, you yourselves also be holy in all your conduct and manner of living. Now what Peter is talking about is a behavior that aligns with our relationship with our bridegroom. Now, that is something that we have to cooperate in. So if we just say, hey, don't worry about holiness, Jesus is your holiness, we've, we've told the truth as far as positionally, but we have totally left off this aspect of holiness, which the Bible says is extremely important. Now, why am I bringing this up in regard to the presence of God? It's very simple. The writer of Hebrews makes a statement, which is where I really want to zero in on tonight. He says, pursue holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Now, I want to camp on this for a few minutes, all right? Pursue, interesting word. This word pursue means to chase after with the intent to apprehend. Okay? This word carries intensity and urgency. So I want you to stop and think about this. Chasing after with the intent to apprehend something. Now, let's revert back to our question. Is he talking about positional holiness or behavioral holiness? Let's go back to the example with Lisa. Lisa has a Wednesday morning Bible study that she goes to. A bunch of ladies are in that Bible study with her. She'll go tomorrow morning. Can you imagine Lisa going into that Bible study tomorrow morning and say, girls, I, I, you know, my prayer request today is just pray. I, 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 I am chasing after with the intent to apprehend being John Bevere's wife. I just want to be John Bevere's wife. I mean, they'll all laugh at her. And they'll say, Lisa, you, were, you became his wife 42 years ago. That makes no sense. But if she goes in there tomorrow morning, she says, girls, can you pray for me? I want to be a better wife behaviorally to John than I've been. Now that makes a lot of sense. So we know right away that the writer of Hebrews is not talking about positional holiness. He's talking the, about the part our, where our behavior comes in. Us chasing after the behavior that aligns with our position. Now, notice he says, without which no one is going to see the Lord. Let's put that back up. I want them to see it again. Without which, no one's going to see the Lord. Now, whoa, 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 stop a minute. What does this mean, nobody's going to see the Lord? Okay, Revelations 1, 7 makes a statement. It says, behold, he comes in the clouds, 
and every eye is going to see him, even those who pierced him. At the great white throne judgment, every one, every human being that has ever lived is going to see God. So it's not about seeing the Lord at the judgment or when he comes back. What is this talking about? Well, let me give you an example of this. Um, I have been under, I think in my lifetime, 12 United States presidents. Their decisions have affected my life. I am under their rulership. They make decisions, I gotta, I gotta abide by them, right? Unless they violate God's law, law of course, right? But you know, in my 50, in my 65 years of living, I've never seen a United States president. I've never been in the presence of a United States president. Now, don't get me wrong. They have friends that see him every day. They have pe- he has people he works with. They see him every day. They're in his presence every day. I've never been in the presence of a United States president. Conversely, there are Christians... They're under the rulership of Jesus. His decisions affect their lives. They're under his rulership. But they're not in his presence. They're not seeing him. I'll show you I'm not taking this out of context. Let's go back to what John said, or what Jesus said in John 14. This is out of the Amplified. It's so clear. The person who has my commandments. Now, stop right there. Do you know there's over 500 commandments in the New Testament? Now, let me make a statement here. Old Testament commandments were were commandments we kept to try to earn a relationship with God. The Old Testament proved you can never do it. You can never do it. New Testament commands. Remember, Jesus, the final words he said, and, and, and I find this is almost taboo when you say this word commands. It's to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, teaching them whatever I've commanded you. Okay, I could rip off commandments like crazy, just in Ephesians four and 3 and 4. The person who has my commands, these commands are more of now this strengthens our relationship. It's not to earn a relationship. They are given to strengthen. And I'll give you an example in a minute, okay? I'll give you an example. The person who has my commands and keeps them is the one who really loves me. And I will love him and I will show Reveal, manifest myself to him. And now look at this. And I will let myself be clearly seen by him. Pursue holiness without which no man will see the Lord. Now, why is seeing the Lord so important? Because the Bible says as we behold him, we are changed from glory to glory. If we're not beholding him, we're not. Now, here's my concern. I know this is a very serious, it's not a rah-rah message tonight. And it's not supposed to be. Okay, I'm hoping that, well, I'm not hoping. I know that the word of God that you're hearing tonight, here's what I believe. It's going to protect you. Because there is so much deception out there today, and this has caused so many to walk away. 
Okay, because in the last days, people are going to just turn aside from the truth and they're going to find teachers that will itch their ears. Okay? Now, why don't I commit adultery against my wife, Lisa? I'm going to, I'm going to set up a relationship with Jesus after I give you this example. There's a reason I don't want to commit adultery against Lisa. Now, let me give you the two that I don't want to talk about that are actually the top two. Number one, I fear God. Number two, um, I would be dead. <laughs> she, um, she is a sharpshooter. I'm not kidding. And she told me, if you commit adultery, I'll make it painless. And she's Sicilian. Italians feed you, Sicilians kill you. Just go watch The Godfather, Okay. Now, let me get back to being serious. There is a reason I don't commit adultery against my wife. Why, why don't I commit adultery against my wife? Here's the deal. Let me set this up like this. I got a marriage certificate. I got it 42 years ago. That certificate says I'm legally married to Lisa. I could hold that certificate up and say, hey, I'm married to you. But if I'm committing adultery, I may be technically married, although it's not going to last very long. But here's what I lose. Here's what I lose. I lose the moments when her head's on the pillow, my head's on the pillow, and she shares with me the intimate secrets of her heart. That she doesn't share with any other human being. The reason I don't commit adultery against Lisa Bevere is I don't ever want to lose that intimacy of when she says, looks me in the eye and tells me things that she would never tell another human being. I don't ever want to lose that. That is more valuable to me than anything. Okay? You want to know why I don't commit adultery against Jesus. You say, what? Commit adultery? Stop. James writes 15 times, my brothers and sisters. He's not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to the church. He said, are you seeking a friendship with the world? You are an adulterer. And he said, I'm going to actually say it again. So anytime a Hebrew writer repeats something, it's really important. You are an adulterer. See, can you imagine any young man in America, let's say the guy's name is Matt, and Matt gets down on his knees, he opens up this little ring box, and he looks at Angela, and he says, baby, would you marry me? And Angela squeals and goes, yes, I'll marry you, yes! Oh my gosh, this will be wonderful. And she goes, you know, Oh, Matt, we're going to have such a great life. But, you know, you know I, 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 I dated, I, I went steady with Peter for uh, two years in college. I, I want to give him a couple nights a year. And, and Tony was my high school boyfriend. And I would like to give him a couple nights a year. But, you know, um, hey, you'll be my favorite. I'll love you more than Tony or Peter. And you'll have 360 nights a year. Is there any young man in the United States of America 
that would accept that. Any, any young man, any young man in the United States of America who would accept that. Yeah, we look at our bridegroom. He chooses, he's my creator, and he chooses to come into this cursed world. Knowing, knowing, he's going to be despised, he's going to be mocked, insulted, lied about, spit in the face, punched in the mouth, have his beard plucked out, thorns jammed into his skull, whipped with lead tip whips, and beat so profusely that by the time he gets to the cross, his appearance will not even be any longer of a human being. He knows it because Isaiah prophesies it. Isaiah 52, 52. He knows it. And yet he says yes because he loved you that much. And, you, and we think he's going to have a bride that says, let me just, let me just have a, two or three nights with the world in bed a year. Let me just have a couple of these lovers that you actually had nails driven into your hands for. Let me, ha- let, let me, let me flirt with them. Let me give them my phone number. Let me go out on a date with them. And then we wonder why... We're not experiencing his presence. It's not legalism. It's not legalism. Because here's the deal. And I'm going to show you this before the night's out. He gave us the ability to live this way. To live a holy life. Not only did he tell us, hey, I want you to have a behavior that matches your holiness. But he empowered us to live that behavior. Still with me? Now, Paul says something that I just think gets overlooked. He writes in 2 Corinthians, he says, as God has said, I will live in them and walk among them. I mean, we read that and go, that's nice. Yes, he lives in me, he walks with me. Would you stop and think about who he's talking about? I mean, Isaiah is a godly man. He's the most godly man in all of Israel. In Isaiah 5, he's saying, woe to the wicked, woe to those who are proud, woe to those who who call evil good and good evil. Isaiah 6, God decides, I'm going to bring him and I'm going to put him right in front of the throne. He obviously takes him out of his body and puts him right before the throne room of God. And when Isaiah sees the Lord, he sees these massive angels and one is crying to the other, holy. And they're crying holy so loud, they're shaking a building, an arena that seats over a billion beings in heaven. They're shaking it to its foundations. And these, you know, we made him out of it. But these angels are not singing a song. They're responding to what they see. Every moment, another facet of his glory is being revealed, and all they can do is cry holy. And what's amazing is they're not crying faithful, faithful, faithful. Is God faithful? Yes, you better believe he's faithful. But that's not his attribute that stands above all others. They're not crying love, love, love. Is God love? Yes, he is love. But that's not his attribute that stands above all. They're crying holy. And when Isaiah sees the Lord, he doesn't go, dude, man, there he is. Wow, I'm finally seeing a man upstairs. Whoa, this is a cool moment. No, literally this man is on his face and he's crying out, woe is me. 
I, I wish, I, give, give us some scriptures, guys. It, it's in there. I, I'm, I'm, I promise you. It, yeah. He, woe is me. I mean, this is the most godly man in Israel. He has one glimpse of the Lord, and now he realizes who he really is before this holy God. It's no longer woe to those who call evil good and good evil, the woe to the sinner. It's now woe is me. I mean, God himself said there is nobody on the planet more righteous than Job. Nobody. Job has one glimpse. He sees, see, Isaiah saw the Lord, woe is me, because my eyes have seen. Job makes the statement, I have heard you by the hearing of the ear. My eye sees you. I utterly abhor myself. Because what? He realizes who he is before this magnificent holy God. So all of us have heard him by the hearing of the ear. We have preachers preaching it all the time. In every church in America, every Sunday, every conference. So did Job. But now he sees him. And he goes, I utterly abhor myself. Moses sees the Lord. Moses, who's so close to God. Most godly man probably on the planet at the time. He was the most humble man. And he says, so terrifying was the sight. I said, I am exceedingly afraid when he saw him. John the apostle was so close to Jesus. But yet he sees him on the island of Patmos and he falls down like a dead man. This is why we have to see him. See, here's what God did. He said, I hide myself. Isaiah 45, 15, you are God who hides yourself. He hides himself. To see if we'll turn in by pursuing holiness and get a glimpse and be changed. Like Job, like Isaiah, like Moses, like John. Or if we'll just hear him by the hearing of the ear and to be a complainer like Job for 30 chapters. Still with me? Oswald Chambers said, or no, no, I don't want to read that. I, uh, I want to keep going because I, I don't want to. Okay. Let, let, me, let me help you understand this. We are being so bombarded with talented athletes, beautiful Hollywood actors and actresses, guru businessmen on social media, mainstream media, all our media, that it's making it hard to turn in. I'm going I'm to give you an example. When my, my, boys, my boys were... Um, my boys were like 12 to 4. It was in the mid-1990s. There was a certain NBA basketball player that was the basketball player of all times. You all know his name. His name's Michael. And I'm walking around my house, and I'm just hearing about Michael too much. Their friends come over, I hear about Michael. They talk about Michael. There's posters now up in the room with Michael. And it got to the point where it started... It started annoying me. 
Now, I, I'm, a, I'm a friend of Michael's mother, okay, Dolores. I have nothing against Michael. Matter of fact, I do think he's the best basketball player that's ever played, okay? I agree. So I have no problem with that. But I didn't like how enamored they were with the glory of this man. Does that make sense? So I'm, I'm getting more and more frustrated. And we get invited to preach at a church on the east coast of America. And this church put us up right on the beach. And I remember the Atlantic was really stirred up that day. And so the boys were body surfing, being thrown by the waves. They had sand in their suits, in their mouth, in their hair, right? And we all come in. They all wrapped themselves in their towels, all four of them with Lisa. And I opened up the sliding glass door because I wanted them to hear the, the pounding ocean. And I looked at them and said, guys, that's a pretty big ocean out there, isn't it? Or pretty powerful ocean out there, isn't it? They go, oh, yeah, yeah. I said, pretty big ocean, too. They go, oh, yeah. I said, you know what? You can only see one mile. That ocean goes another 4,000 miles. And I said, there's one on the other side that's even bigger, and there's two others beside that. And I said, do you know God weighed every drop of water that water in the palm of his hand. And I said, and you're impressed that this guy can jump from the 15-foot line, <laughs> have the ball in the palm of his hand, and put it through a little hole. Okay. He said, Dad, you see, then I'd start telling about the heavens because the heavens declare his glory, his greatness. He said, Dad, we got it. We got it. We got it. And you know what? They still enjoyed the NBA games. But it was back in perspective. Does that make sense? So now let's go back to this, okay? God, as God has said, and he's, he's about to make a string of promises here. Number one, I'm going to live in them. So stop and think about who you just heard about. 2 Corinthians 6.16, guys, if you just put it up again. If you stop and think about what you hear. I will live in them. The one I have just talked about for the last several minutes, I will live in them. So see, he hides his glory. Are we going to be enamored by what's all around us in this world that has no glory in comparison, or are we going to see his glory in our hearts? Because the glory of God is revealed in the face of Christ Jesus, and we have this treasure in earthen vessels. So if I pursue holiness, I get a greater glimpse. And the better the glimpse I get, the more I change. So God says, I'll live in them, I'll walk among them, I'll be their God, they should be my people. And then he says, I will be your father and you should be my sons and daughters. So I counted seven promises, right? So now here's the key statement. 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Because we have these seven promises I just listed. Beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness. Everybody say all. Notice it doesn't say 99%. So in other words, Lisa doesn't say to me, I'll give up every boyfriend except for one when we got married. She didn't say that. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness. Now, notice it doesn't say the blood of Jesus is going to cleanse us. Whoa, 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 John, you're telling me the blood of Jesus doesn't cleanse me? Never, never. What I am saying is don't you confuse the work of justification with the work of sanctification. There's a big difference. The moment I got saved... The blood of Jesus cleansed me from all unrighteousness, all sin. And I was declared righteous, right? I positionally became holy. 
But the work of sanctification is what is done inside of us, works its way out. That we have to cooperate with. We have to cleanse ourselves by the power of his grace from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness, not in the love of God, but in the fear of God. We'll talk about that in a moment. Now look at this. I want to focus in on cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. I think the flesh is pretty obvious. I don't need to go into that. First Thessalonians, let me just read a couple of scriptures. God's will for you is to be holy. So stay away from all sexual sin. Why aren't we talking about this more? How come I keep meeting people that tell me I'm a born again Christian and I'm living with my boyfriend? I don't get it. It's because we're not talking about it. Do you know how many people are actually living together? I, I, I know of somebody who works for an international ministry. Her boyfriend just said, why don't you move in? He's a born-again believer. Thank God she had enough sense to say, there is no way I'm moving in with you. God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. He rejects us, doesn't reject man. He rejects God. Have we, ever, have we ever even really talked about the fact that Hebrews 13.3 says the marriage bed is undefiled. But those that commit adultery and have sex before marriage, God will judge. How come we don't talk about it? How come we don't talk about pornography? 67% of the men that go to church regularly watch pornography regularly. Hey, it was a seven-year struggle or six-year struggle for me to get free. I was bound to it. I'm not being the guy that's throwing stones. I had a six-year struggle. And on May the 5th, 1985, God set, May 6th, 1985, God set me free, and I'm still free today. Thank God. But it's because I had teachers, I had fathers. One was Lester Sumrall, who addressed it. He didn't skirt it. He went right at it and talked to me and said, stop it. And it caused me to search and seek. And at the end of a four-day fast, I was completely set free. I remember I'm on a radio interview and I'm preaching about Matthew 7, about many are going to call me Lord. Yet I'm going to say, I don't even know who you are, you who practice sin. And the radio announcer said, wait a minute, wait a minute. What about, oh, come on, all these guys that are looking at pornography and all that. You know, come on. I said, hey, are you trying to tell me that the blood of Jesus is just strong enough to get us free from the penalty of sin, but it's not quite strong enough to get me free from the bondage of sin? Is that what you're telling me? Is that what you're telling me? On, the, on a live radio program that went all over Minneapolis. I said, sorry, you're too late with me. You can't tell me that. Because I was bondage to pornography from the age of 11 to 25. Completely. I had a spirit of lust up to my eyeballs. After I got saved, I said, but I got free. And I'm free today. Don't tell me that's not true. Paul says, don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin, who worship idols, commit adultery, practice homosexuality, or thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or abusive, or cheap people. 
None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Don't fool yourselves. Okay, I want to focus in on this one in the last couple minutes I have with you. Filthiness of the Spirit. What is that? That's our intentions, our thoughts, and our motives. Paul makes the statement in 1 Thessalonians, our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our heart. That's huge. Motives are driven, listen to this, motives are driven by who we desire to please. Okay? Now, in order to really understand this, you've got to understand that every human being has three images. Everybody say, i got three images. What's our three images? First of all, our perceived image. What is my perceived image? That's the way people perceive me. Second, projected image. What is that? That's the way I project myself. I will project myself the way I want to be perceived. Third is our actual image. That is the image God sees, and that is the image that's going to be revealed before everyone at the judgment seat. Now, perceived image is not always positive. There were a lot of people who thought Jesus was a drunkard, a glutton, a wine-bibber, a friend of sinners. His perceived image by a lot of people wasn't that great. But yet God the Father said his actual image is, this is my beloved son, and I'm really pleased with him. Now, the question comes down is, are we going to be motivated by how people perceive us, which will actually put my emphasis on how to project myself, or will I be motivated by my actual image, and that is the way God sees me? That is going to drive my motives and intentions. If you will remember, there was a man and a woman in the church in Jerusalem, and they brought an offering and laid it at Peter's feet. There is absolutely nothing wrong with them bringing that offering and giving it to the work of God. What was wrong was their motive. Now, a lot of people really get confused over this situation, but if you look at Acts 5 verse 1, it says, but there was a certain man named Ananias. Now, look, this is Acts 5 verse 1. The beginning of the chapter. Can I tell you as an author, I have never started a chapter with the word but. (laughs) These chapters and verses got added later. This is one long letter. The reason people don't understand this is because in the very last verse of chapter 4, we have this, Barnabas, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. If you owned land in Cyprus back then, it's like owning land on Manhattan or in Newport Beach today. You were rich. He sells his land and probably, I'm going to modernize this, puts $8 million at Peter's feet. Now, I can only imagine, okay, well, wait a minute, let's just, let's continue on here. Then we see this, but there was a certain man named Ananias. So Barnabas bringing this offering created a response out of Ananias and Sapphira. I can only imagine they had a gift of giving. How many of you know there are gifts that God puts in the church? Minds teaching, preaching, right? Pastor Jacob leading preaching, teaching, right? We celebrate those gifts. We celebrate gifts of hospitality. We should celebrate the gift of giving because it is a gift and it gets attention. Doesn't preaching get attention? Doesn't giving get attention? 
So, so, and that's, I, I believe the reason they brought it and put it at the feet is because they wanted everybody glorifying God. Ananias and Sapphira, probably the biggest givers in the church. Probably started out being so thankful they were saved. The apostles are looking for leadership abilities. All of a sudden, they're like, oh, man, this couple's got this, this, this. And they eventually came forward as, a, as real givers for the kingdom. Well, all of a sudden, all the eyes go on the new guy, Barnabas. Ananias and Sapphira creates a reaction. They go out and sell their biggest plot of land. But they go, man, this is way too much money to give. We only want to appear to give it all. See, this is projected image. So they bring, let's say they sell the land for $12 million, They bring $6 million and lay it at Peter's feet. There's nothing wrong with the offering. What's wrong is the motive. And the motive created what they said. This is everything we got. That created the lie. The filthiness of the spirit created the lie. Which they didn't address. They wanted people to notice them. They were insecure because their relationship with Jesus wasn't strong enough. They were deriving their satisfaction from their gift rather than from their relationship with God. See, why is it that ministers can go shipwrecked? Because on social media, their friends are projecting all this image, and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, my church hasn't grown in, in two years, What's, to 2,000 in two years. What's wrong with me? And so all this projected image is going out there. Instead of realizing that my greatest treasure is my relationship with Jesus. Do you know one of the greatest things that happened to me was COVID? Now, I know it was terrible for everybody else, it was terrible for most people, but it was wonderful because that year I said, all right, I'm going to absolutely pull away every single D in 2020, and I want to connect with God. I want to have, I want to, I want to connect. You know when you pray and you don't connect, and you know when you connect. That year changed my life. It changed me. It solidified what was important to me. I've stood in front of so many, probably millions if you look at media and you look at it live, and I realize this doesn't satisfy because it, the relationship I have here is so much greater. Ananias and Sapphira are drawing, drawing their satisfaction from their gift instead of their relationship, and now they're projecting something. Social media almost teaches us to do that now don't get me wrong we've got i I, we've got millions of followers i I mean i've got seven hundred fifty thousand followers on just instagram hey we use it but i don't care what people think my wife is always like you are not phased at all by all these things i said no i'm not at all to be honest with you lisa i'm just using it as a tool to talk to people they fell over dead this man and wife peter said Why has Satan filled your heart so that you would lie to the Holy Spirit? He falls over dead. His wife falls over dead. They bear him. You know what the Bible says? Great fear came upon the whole church. I want you to see it. Put it up for me. Great fear. Everybody say great fear. fear. The word great there is the Greek word megas. We get our English word mega out of it. Mega fear 
filled the entire church. All right, what do we got here? We got a church that loved God but lacked the holy, healthy fear of God. Okay, what puts the fear of God in you? The realization of his glory, his greatness. It creates an awe of you. The fear of God is not to be scared of God. It's actually being terrified of being away from him. The fear of God was actually Jesus' delight. And that's what kept him strong all the way through the cross. Do you know that the Bible tells us the fear of God is God's treasure? The fear of God is Jesus' delight. This is why Paul then says, holiness is, guys, I'm going backwards. I'm jumping all over. Holiness is perfected or matured in the fear of the Lord. I've gone over time now, and I want to say this. I believe back in the 19, early 1990s, God spoke to me. I, I got saved at the very tail end of the Jesus Revolution. I love that movie. Oh, Andy Irwin is a good friend. I just, I've looked at him time and time again and said thank you to you and John for doing that movie. I got saved at the tail end of the Jesus Revolution. Jesus Revolution, we found out our daddy loved us. We got, it delivered us from legalism. It, we found out God is love. I mean, man, it was so wonderful. But I believe with all my heart, because in 1990, the early 90s, God spoke to me. And he said, the next major move of my spirit on the earth. See, we've had the Brownsville. We've had the, the pockets. We haven't had one that's really covered the whole country. But we're about to. And God spoke to me in 1990, and he said, the next one that comes that covers the, covers the earth is going to be a move of the holy fear of God. After he spoke that to me, I start reading my Bible, and I realize that there's only one description of the church that Jesus is coming back for. One description. It's not a leadership church. I believe in leadership. It's not a community church. I believe in community. It's not good that man's alone. It's not a relevant church. I believe in relevance. You're never going to win the loss without relevance. The one and only description of the church that Jesus is coming back for is a holy church without spot, without wrinkle, which means we're unspotted with the world. We're not tarnished by the world. We're not flirting with the world. We're a glorious church. And what makes us glorious is our holiness. Do you know what makes... Look, at the angels look at God and cry out holy, right? Because every moment his glory is being revealed... They cry holy. What's going to make the church glorious is her holiness. When the world sees, she's so committed to the point of death. Whether I live or whether I die, may Christ be magnified in my body. That's what Paul says. When the church begins to walk this way, and it's available. It's available. God has given us the ability in the salvation package. And I wish we would preach it. This doesn't put you into bondage. This should empower you. Because the fear of the Lord. See, the reason Jesus delighted in him is because he knew that holiness would be maintained totally throughout his life. They would not fall away from the Father if he walked in the fear of God that would maintain his set-apartness to the Father. When we 
begin to pursue holiness in the fear of the Lord, that is when we will start walking away from things that we couldn't get free from. I'm telling you, it's true. Because that's when God's grace comes into our life and changes us. I hope you can see tonight that God is asking no more from us than what we would ask from our spouse. All Lisa asks of me is that I keep my heart loyal to her. I make stupid mistakes. Oh, she has been so mad at me. Oh my gosh, she's been so angry. But she so deeply loves me because she knows my heart is loyal to her. I am 100% loyal to her. This is all God's asking of us. Give me your entire heart, not a portion of it. Did you get something out of tonight? 